All right, guys, I'm here today with Jason Goldberg. He's a TEDx speaker, a baconatarian, and that's a vegetarian who still eats bacon, in case you didn't know, a funky sock lover, and a former rapper who opened for the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Jason is, and I quote, a geek turned entrepreneur, turned international and transformational speaker, trainer, coach, and author. After spending over a decade in a successful information technology career, he left the corporate world to launch an award-winning transportation startup, followed by co-founding and serving as CEO for a tech firm in partnership with NASA to commercialize technology from the Space Shuttle program. Now, Jason focuses all of his humor, experience, and enthusiasm on being of deep service to inspiring individuals from pro surfers to CEOs and countless organizations such as Wynnum Vacation Ownership, Northrop Grumman, the National Association for Entrepreneurs, and the National Association of Residential Property Managers. Also, Jason has recently launched his first book on self-leadership called Prism Break, which became an international bestseller. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm over here laughing because as you're reading the intro, my dog just started sneezing. And I'm like, oh my God, can you shut up? We're trying to do a professional thing here. <laughs> That's so cool. It's, it's great to have you, man. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking to talk a little bit about lifestyle design, our relationship with food and taking control of our health, and obviously about seeking permission and self-leadership. But before we do, please take a minute to fill in the gaps from that intro and tell us how did you get started on your journey? Yeah. So again, I just appreciate the work that you're doing and, and inviting me on here. I, I love that this is, you know, all about the quest and about the hero's journey and about really kind of, you know, like you said, lifestyle design. This is something that I think is so important for us to be purposefully looking at. So I appreciate the work you're doing. And yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that pretty much nailed it. I mean, I guess the big thing for me has been, you know, my, my own transformations in life have taken place in my career, moving from being, you know, in a corporate environment to being an entrepreneur three times over. This is the third entrepreneurial endeavor that I've done being in the, in the speaking and online education business. All right. And then also the body, you know, the, the weight transformation, both the physical weight and then, of course, the other forms of weight that I was carrying around, which wasn't just my physical weight, was all this mental weight and this, you know, emotional weight and, and anger and stress and, and hopelessness and depression, all these things that I was carrying around along with the extra 130 pounds that I was carrying around when I was, you know, 332 pounds in my late 20s. So there have been kind of transformations all along the board and we can dive into any of that stuff you want, but it's been a hell of a journey, man. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. May I ask you to share the ways that you managed to cope with all that anxiety and depression? Lots of drugs. No. <laughs> Well, well some, some drugs, but they were prescription drugs from, from my doctor. But I, you know, I was on very high levels of antidepressants, like the, you know, the highest of the one that I was taking, it was the absolute highest dose you could be on. It was enough to make a, a horse happy. It was, just, you know, it was a huge amount. But, but besides that, I mean, the, the coping, I don't even know how well I was coping. I mean, I, you know, I was really angry and, and I had a, a really bad temper. Like I was always the nice, you know, sweet guy. I would never hurt anybody. Like I never would, my anger was never directed physically towards somebody. It was only at inanimate objects, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. punching holes in walls and, and throwing things. And this is something that I did 
you know, as an early teenager, but even into my twenties in my mid to late twenties, I remember this one time, my wife will never let me forget it, that when I was still in this place of being so angry and, and so out of control with my emotions and my mindset, I had a really, you know, a difficult conversation with a, with a client when I was, this is when I was still in my corporate job, my IT job. I had a difficult conversation with a client. And when I hung up the phone, I took my $600 cell phone and threw it against the wall and shattered it into a thousand pieces. And that was just like, what it, that's what occurred to me to do. Like when you're angry like that, when that's your basis, when that's your, your inner stance to come from, you know, what I now call the prisoner stance, that's what you do. You have a difficult conversation and the only way you know how to react is to smash a cell phone. So, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the way my, my life was. So when it comes to coping, you know, yeah, I tried my best. You know, I, I did rely on when I was younger and having issues with weight and being picked on. I relied a lot on kind of being the class clown and using comedy to help me feel like I had some value to offer. And, and I don't know, you know, everybody listening to this, there's always something, there's always some, some skill that we a lot of times developed out of necessity, out of survival, that was something that helped us to feel like we added value in the world. And now that exact thing is what propels me and allows me to serve people really deeply. So so my coping mechanisms when I was younger was number one, comedy. And that was usually to gain, to try to gain guy friends and, and that helped with girls also. And then empathy was the other side, was like really being somebody who listened and was compassionate and empathetic. And that helped me to have, you know, female friends. So those two things that I, you know, tapped into and cultivated as a way to feel valuable in the world since I felt so kind of worthless because of the way I looked and being overweight and everything, those are the things that now help me to serve the world even more deeply. So, so those kind of that that's kind of the coping mechanism I used when I was younger. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that with us. This truly was a transformational journey. I mean, you struggled with anxiety, depression, feeling inadequate because of your weight, yet you managed to overcome all of these odds, and you have become a motivational speaker, a best-selling author, inspiring thousands of people around the world. So I was wondering, what are the first steps one can take to embark on such a journey of transformation, especially when the odds are against you? You know, looking back, the one thing that I always come back to, and I mean, it's the reason I wrote, I wrote Prison Break. It's not, I wasn't trying to figure out, like I didn't do market research and, and see what was selling. I didn't look at what other authors were writing and try to find the gap in the market so I could fulfill it. Like I wrote the thing that I needed to hear back then. And to be honest, dude, that I still need to hear. The whole distinction of being a prisoner versus being a self-leader, the reason I'm so qualified to talk about it is because it's still a part of my moment-by-moment -moment experience of life, where in any given moment, I still have the ability to either choose being a prisoner or choose being a self-leader. It still happens to me. So, so the reason I say that is because I think the first step is really understanding the role that our mindset plays. And mindset has become such a freaking buzzword. And everybody's like, you know, mindset this and control your thinking and yada, yada, yada. And that's, and that's great. But it's, it's not, it's not a buzzword. Like if we really slow that down and we break down that word, it's, it's like the setup of your mind, right? So nobody would say like, oh, it's, it doesn't make sense to talk about the setup of a home, the foundation and the concrete. That's, everybody talks about that. That's boring. Everybody knows that. Like, no, that's important. Like you can't build a house if you don't have the setting down 
in the foundation. And so mindset to me is like, how do we set our minds up to be successful? How do we set our mind up to serve us instead of debilitate us? And so the first step is to recognize, and again, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I've heard this before, mindset, everybody's talking mindset, put on your damn white belt for a minute, be an amateur, stop knowing everything and say, say to yourself like, okay, maybe there's something here. I've heard mindset a bunch, but maybe I need to just like slow this down and ask myself where I'm not taking ownership of my thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Our mindset operates in the background of our mind and it defines the way we see the world and react to it. So we absolutely have to start from there. As you're speaking about mindset and taking the first steps towards becoming the best possible version of ourselves, there is a chapter in your book that comes to my mind, The Day the Universe Has Cut You Off. I felt like laughing and tearing up at the same time while reading it. So I want to ask you to share some of the details from that chapter with the audience. Of the day the universe cut me off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, you know, it's so funny, man. Like now it's a story that I, I love to tell and it's so funny. And, and it was, so, it's actually so funny. I'll give you, can I give you a little bit of behind the scenes on something Absolutely, real quick? Absolutely, please. <laughs> okay. I don't, think I, I don't think I've ever shared this before, but, but at one point, I was working with a speaking coach because speaking is a big part of my business and it doesn't matter how good you get at something, you should always have people that are helping you to, to get even better. And so I had a speaking coach working with me and he was working with me on, on this exact story, the story that's in that chapter of the, you know, the day the universe cut me off. And, and the way I wrote it, you know, it's, again, it's very funny to me now. It could be a little dramatic when people first read it because, because it was a, you know, it felt like a very yeah. serious thing. But the reason I'm saying all this is because the speaking coach wanted me to really like dive into how emotional it was and like really connect with how sad and, and depressed I was. And the truth is I was super sad and depressed when it happened. And at the same time, looking back now, it's funny as hell. So like I want to be able to laugh at the things that were once debilitating to me because once we can laugh at our fears, once we can ridicule our fears, once we can sneak up behind them and like, you know, tickle them and then run away giggling, hmm. they can't have a hold on us anymore. And so I, I just kind of wanted to say that, like for us to really play with how we can, we can be playful, even with the most stressful stories in our lives. So that particular story though, when the universe cut me off is about the day where I was in my late twenties, I was still working in corporate at my last corporate job. I was the director of engineering and operations for a technology firm, was making six figures in my late twenties, doing really well, you know, monetarily and status wise. Yeah. But this is also when I was, you know, 332 pounds and at the height of my, my anger and depression and having, you know, suicidal thoughts and just really, you know, struggling. I did a pretty good job hiding it most of the time, but I was struggling big time on the inside. And I went to go make a purchase with my credit card, my bank card online at Amazon. And it, was, it wasn't a big purchase. It was like a $70 purchase or something. And the credit card didn't go through. It got declined. And I knew there was money in the bank. I mean, again, I was, I was making pretty good money. And so I tried it again and it got declined again. And I'll condense the story because it's kind of a long story if I don't. But I reacted the way that I always, always reacted up to this point when something did not go exactly my way is I went into anger and rage and like, why is this happening to me? And just being a total prisoner and thinking the world does have to get me and who can I blame and all this stuff. And so I storm out of the office building and into like the lobby of the, of the complex and I call my bank and I'm, I'm super upset, man. I'm like so upset and I get somebody on the phone. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I know there's money in the account. Why are you assholes not giving me my money? Like, why can I not make a purchase online? What is going on here? Yeah. And 
the guy from the bank told me, well, it looks like there may have been some potentially fraudulent charges on the account. And so we have deactivated the card pending further investigation. So now I'm really freaking out because I'm like, oh my God, somebody like hacked my account. They stole my identity. Like what, what have they been buying? Like am I out thousands and thousands of dollars? I'm going to have to get all new credit cards and all this stuff. Yeah. So, so I asked him, I said, well, what were these charges? What were these you know, potentially fraudulent charges? And he told me that the charges that had my card get cut off was that there were four fast food transactions at drive through fast food locations, four of them in one day. And they assumed somebody had stolen my card and they were testing it by making small purchases to see if it would still work. Yeah. <laughs> and what had actually happened was that me in this point of my life where I just felt like I had no control over my emotions or my thinking or my body or anything else, I had made those charges, man. That was me. I had eaten at four fast food restaurants in one day and it took this multi-billion dollar bank to say, dude, you're done. Like we're cutting you off. You don't get access to your money anymore. You don't get to keep being this fat ass that makes horrible decisions about what you put in your body. And so I say that was the day the universe cut me off. This bank, my bank said, you're done. And that was a huge wake up call for me to recognize like, wow, I didn't think this was that big of a problem, but it actually is a much bigger problem than I thought it was. I love this story. And it's so inspiring to see how things can radically change when the universe puts a mirror right in front of you and there is no one to blame for what's happening in your life. And you have to take responsibility for your actions and for the way you show up in the world. I think the reason why I resonate so much with your story has to do with my experience with recording podcasts. The first time I was doing something like this, I felt I needed to prepare myself. So I started recording calls with my wife, my brother, and some of my friends. And at one point, I had about two hours of footage, and it was absolutely unbelievable for me to see myself in front of this mirror that showed me the way I interacted with these people, especially with my brother, because everyone's been telling me that I'm condescending, that I'm such a smart ass, you know, that I should give the guy a break, that I'm always teaching him. Teaching is my word, not theirs. <laughs> so now... I could see my reactions, the tone of my voice, my nonverbal messages. It was all there. I couldn't deny it. I mean, they are really subtle details, but they are there. My wife has seen the footage with me, and I think she laughed at me for more than a week because she was the one who pointed out all of this stuff before, and I didn't believe her. And she wasn't attacking me or anything like that. She was supportive, but it still struck me. And it made me reflect more about how I show up in the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. I mean, you, you nailed it. The mirror and not having anybody to blame. That's exactly, that's exactly what it was for me. I mean, you, you said it perfectly because I had two mantras. You know, we talk about mantras a lot of yep. personal growth. I had, I had two mantras in my life up to that point. The first mantra was, that's just the way I am. So and my wife would say, why do you scream and yell and throw cell phones when you get mad? And I would say, that's just the way I am. And I wore that like a badge of honor. Yeah. And the second one I had was, who can I blame? And anytime anything happened, it was, who can I blame? So that moment, just like you said, that mirror, as difficult as it may be to look right in that mirror, that is the moment of freedom. It doesn't feel like it in the moment. It feels like shit in the moment. Absolutely. But it is, it is the actual, that is, that is your pathway to freedom is right into that mirror. Definitely. 
I love that story. Thanks for sharing that story, man. That's awesome. The path to freedom is in that mirror. I like that. It's very well said. Jason, you've talked earlier about working with your coach, and I'd like to touch upon this matter. You're an amazing coach. You have tons of experience. You live an exponential life, yet you still hire your own coach. Tell us about the impact that coaching had on your life and how do you find the right person to work with? Because it's a truly intimate process. Yeah. You know, I I love that. I've had one coach, Steve Chandler, the majority of the entire time I've had coaches. I mean, honestly, I've had two official coaches. I've worked with some other coaches in like small group programs, but like, you know, very small group, but not one-on-one. I've had two main coaches in in my entire, you know, adult life, which is, you know, I started being coached around the time that I started coaching. So I had one coach first was Jacob Sokol, an incredible man, an incredible coach. And then after I had finished with him, I I signed up with Steve Chandler and I've been with Steve ever since. And I don't know that there will ever be a time that I'm not with, with him. And it's because and I think this is such an important thing when you're when we're thinking about looking at looking for coaches. You know, there's one thing to be said for looking to a coach who is doing what it is that you want to do or has done what it is that you want to do. Nothing wrong with that, right? There's maybe some mentorship there and Steve has definitely provided that for me also. But what I really understand and what I really what has become my guiding decision making as far as what kind of coach I'll work with. And it's the reason I keep going back to Steve is because he keeps fulfilling this one thing for me is that I don't need a coach that has done what I want to do. I want a coach that sees the world in the way that I want to see the world. And so when I look at somebody like Steve, who is so grounded in, you know, being relaxed and having fun and seeing the world as the big creative game and play that it is, these are the tenets in my life, you know, much of through the work I've done with him to live that way. It's like, why wouldn't I want to have somebody that exemplifies those ways of being in my life on a regular basis? And it doesn't even matter. And this is something too that, that I, I've, I finally come to realize. It doesn't even mean that I have like all this really deep, heavy stuff to work on with him. Sometimes it's just knowing that I have set aside time that's just for myself, just to slow down in the midst of the chaos of being an entrepreneur or the, you know, or the chaos of life or whatever it is, or just slowing down to remember the true essence of who I am and what my gifts are and what my message is and what I believe in. That space being created for me with somebody that I really, really trust and honor as a human being and as a friend and as a coach, that's priceless to me. So I know it's said a lot that like nobody needs a coach. And I believe that. I don't think anybody needs a coach. People were alive and well and thriving far before the coaching industry ever existed. And that can be said for anything. Oh, well, people lived before vitamins. Yeah, but if you take vitamins, maybe you don't get sick as much. Well, people lived yep. before gyms were around. Well, but if you go to the gym, maybe you'll you'll feel a little healthier. Like if you have something available to you that can take your life and make it even better than it already is or open you up to ways to make it better yourself, why wouldn't you do that? Hmm. Absolutely. And I love your analogy with vitamins. What pops into my mind right now is that we often find ourselves seeking permission to be who we really are, rather than showing up creatively and living life on our terms. And I know that this is a subject that you frequently touch upon in your talks and in your book. I think that one of the awesome advantages of working with a coach is that he helps you realize that you do not need permission from others to be yourself, nor to create whatever you need to create in your life. And this is so empowering. So as you said, you don't necessarily need a coach, but your life would sure be a hell of a lot easier if you had one. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and here's the thing too, is that I have this one, this to me exemplifies why I love Steve so much. And he's just, to me, you know, I know I haven't had a lot of coaches, but I know a lot of coaches and, and, you know, I, I host the master circle and I've seen a lot of coaches in action and they're incredible, just amazing in their own right. And Steve was made for me. Like, I really believe that. And, and it's not because he's like me, like we're totally different. I talk fast and I move fast and my brain goes fast. He's very slow. He talks very slow and everything's very (laughs) slow. But what he does is, is he points me back over and over again to the fundamental truth of the control and the power I have over my experience of the world. And one of the times that he did this was probably, I don't know, maybe eight months or a year ago, I sent him this email and this email was long and it was just me just ranting and being in total prisoner mode and just saying like, I don't know what to do about this and I'm so stressed out about this and what if this doesn't work out and what if this doesn't work out and this is going to fail and what's wrong with me? Like I just I just let him have it, right? Hmm. And he could have gone into all kinds of different ways to coach me or give me resources or whatever. And he wrote back to me and he said this one line. And this line may not have been as effective for other people as it was for me. I think it depends on your level of grounding. It depends on your understanding of the world. It depends on your relationship with your coach. It depends on you know how you're feeling that day. There's all kinds of different things. But the line he wrote back to me, instead of trying to fix anything, instead of giving me answers, instead of giving me resources, he wrote back and he said, I have so much compassion for what you are putting yourself through right now. And I thought he was being sarcastic. And so immediately I started laughing and immediately I started laughing at myself like, oh, dude, yeah, you are totally doing all of this to yourself. And he actually, and I talked to him about it. He actually did not mean it sarcastically. He meant it truthfully. I don't know that I actually believe that, to be honest. But either way, all he had to do was point me back to the fact that I was creating the experience of my life. And because of what I already believe deep down, it's what I write about, it's what I speak about, it's what I coach about, it's what I teach on. Because I had someone there to just gently point me back to north, right? Whatever is north for you. But for me, he pointed me back to north and immediately all that crap went away and there was nothing to solve and there was nothing to overcome and I didn't need permission and I didn't need backup plans and I didn't need certainty. All I needed to remember was that I was putting myself through this and that he had compassion for what I was doing. And all of a sudden, it just got light and I was able to get back to work. And that's the power of coaching right there. The coach doesn't have to have all the answers or solutions to your problems. And still, this is one of the most empowering experiences that you can have. Totally. And as a coach, if you have experience or stories to share that will serve the person, do that. Like Steve does that all the time for me too. And, and I do that with my yeah. clients all the time too, is I, I share my experience and, and invite them to look at different options if I think it will serve them. But sometimes they don't need that. They just need somebody to point them back to what they already know to be true. Okay, Jason, I would now like to talk about one of the key points in your book, self-leadership. What does self-leadership mean and why is it so important? Mm, self-leadership. There's so much that goes into self-leadership. So self-leadership in and of itself kind of doesn't make any sense without context, right? So it's like asking somebody to explain up without understanding down would make it kind of an intellectual exercise and be very difficult to explain. So, so for me, you know, self-leadership came out of me feeling like a prisoner in my life for so long. Mm. And so once I finally had this moment where, you know, the universe cut me off, 
and I really started diving into the possibility that there was something that could dictate my happiness that was not based on circumstances and totally resisting the crap out of that, by the way, and not thinking that was actually possible, but eventually gently moment by moment, kind of getting more and more into that and testing it for myself and not trying to agree with it or believe in it, but just testing it and seeing like, oh, wow, there's something to this. I realized that I felt totally different when I approached life or looked at life through this other lens, through this lens where you know, if there's a problem, my thinking is the problem. And if my thinking is the problem, then my thinking is also the solution that I am, you know, the author of my life, that I am the one who decides how I respond or if I will respond or if I will react to what's going on. Just recognizing all these choices that I had had all along that I never thought were choices. Hmm. And as I did that over and over again, I saw the power that it had in the way I felt, the way that I related to my friends and to my family, the way that people responded to me in the world, in business, like just all these different things opened up for me. And so I started asking myself, okay, if I wanted to put language to this for myself, right, because I want to have a way to say, to ask myself, okay, Jason, in this moment, are you being a prisoner or are you being a something? And I wanted to figure out what does that mean for me? And I realized when I was really taking ownership of my thinking, when I was really Instead of being led by my thoughts, being a real thought leader, when I was slowing down and getting creative about my interpretation, I felt like I was being a leader in my own life. And it feels good to be a leader. It doesn't matter if you've been a leader in your community, in your family, in your job, in your church, in a, in a group, in a club, whatever it is. It feels good to be a leader right? We all love, or or I would say the majority of people love feeling like they're a leader because it gives you some sense of power and control. And I felt like for the first time I was finally leading myself. I was not being led by other people and other circumstances and what they say and what they think. I was finally leading myself. And I'm like, oh, I'm a self-leader. That's pretty easy. And so that's kind of where this concept came from. And so, so what that means is that in any given moment, I have the choice to approach my circumstances and to approach my thinking and to approach whatever's being presented to me by this amazing game of life and to either see it as a helpless prisoner who is being thrown around in the wind like a helpless tree branch or like a plastic bag that's just flying all around because of the wind or being at the mercy of the economy or being at the mercy of who's in the White House or being at the mercy of the, the song on radio that reminds me of my ex-girlfriend. Instead of all that crap dictating my world and making me a prisoner to everything outside of me, what if I step in the middle of those things and I say no? I don't give you access to my feelings. I don't give you access to my experience of the world. I am a self-leader and I will choose what I use to explain this situation. I will choose my interpretation. I will choose to play a game, to treat this world like improv, like Robin Williams would do when he walked into a room and somebody would throw a scarf at him and he would make six different characters on the spot with no preparation. If I approach the world through that lens where I'm playing improv and playing a game, my life just seems to work better. I love that. I love that. Jason, could you please share with us maybe a breakthrough moment that you had when you realized that you don't actually need someone's permission to do something? Yeah. I mean, God, there's so, there's so many. I mean, it's, it was less about realizing I didn't need permission and more about realizing that permission doesn't actually exist. Hmm. Right. That's a because distinction. It, yeah. 
Yeah, because it's, you know, the way this works is that it's never, it's never the thing. It's the way we relate to the thing, right? So if I think permission is a real thing and and let's, let's make this real. So let's say like, you know, I want to, I want to leave my job and I want to, you know, start my own business and my family says, what the hell are you crazy? Like, you know, with the economy, the way it is and you don't have a savings and da, 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 da. And that doesn't mean you should, you know, you should make ridiculous, reckless decisions. I'm actually a very conservative person when it comes to entrepreneurship. And when people tell me I'm going to leave my job and start a, a company because I'm passionate, I'm like, whoa, no, please don't do that. Let's, let's talk about about, you know, more healthy ways to do this. But yep. but we're talking about just like the views of other people. So they say all that stuff. And if we think we need permission, then immediately we go into defensive mode, right? Hmm. We try to convince them that what we're doing is right. Or we let ourselves be influenced by what other people are saying. But if instead we realized, oh, I don't need their permission, what they're saying right now is just their own projection or protection of me. Like, thank goodness that I have somebody that cares so much about me that this is the way that maybe it's not the way that I would share my concern, although maybe it is. You you, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, I would never do that, but then we do that exact thing. So maybe I recognize like, oh, what a wonderful gift that I have somebody who cares about me and tells me that they want me to be careful. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And it's irrelevant when it comes to me making a decision. It just doesn't apply. So I can try to get their permission or I can recognize that there's no permission to receive. There's no permission to get. It's about me questioning my thoughts and saying, you know, what is it that I think I need from somebody else? What do I need to hear from somebody else? And what will happen 99.999% of the time, and this is with permission, this is with love, this is with approval, acceptance, validation, anything, anything that I want to hear from somebody else is actually something I want to hear from myself. So if I slow that all down and I say, okay, I really want somebody to tell me that they believe in me and that they think I can do this, what I'm really saying is I wish I believed that about myself. That's really and that's something I yeah. And that's something I can play with, hmm. right? I can't play with other people's thoughts. That's their shit. I can't do anything with that. I tried for 30 years <laughs> to mold and modify and manipulate people's thoughts around me and it was a full-time job and it never worked. And if people listening, you know if you've ever tried to to mold and modify and manipulate all the people around you, it is a complete waste of your time and energy and creativity. But when I recognize that what I think I'm deficient in from the outside is actually something I'm just longing for on the inside from me, I can play with that. I can play a game with that and see if that's true or if there's something more true that I can I can anchor into. Definitely. That's such a powerful place to come from. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Jason, as we are reaching the final part of the show, I want to ask you a few personal questions that will give the audience invaluable pieces of wisdom to help them on their journey. So are you well, ready? You, you, think it, you, you think it'll be invaluable. Maybe it'll suck. <laughs> yeah. I beg to differ. <laughs> so are you ready for the fire round? I am ready for the fire round. Give it to me. All right. Here's the first question. If you were to recommend one book, only one, that every man must read, what would it be and why? Oh, okay. That every man must read specifically. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. God, there's so many books running through my head. Okay, so the first one that comes to mind is Reinventing Yourself by Steve Chandler Mm. because it's the one that really got me into understanding the role of ownership that I can play in my life. And I think that he tells a lot of stories from the perspective of a man, of a husband, of a father that can really resonate with men. So that one hands down, Reinventing Yourself, Steve Chandler. 
All right. That's one for my list. <laughs> awesome. You'll love it. Okay. Yeah. Here's the next question. How can we find the balance between being a macho jerk and the so-called nice guy, as in the nice guy syndrome from Dr. Robert Glover? Ooh, the balance between... Okay. That's interesting. Hmm. So... I don't know if this will directly answer the question, but I, but I want to just throw this out there. And, and if, if you don't like the answer, I'll give you something different. <laughs> okay. So, Let's so, play. so, yeah. So my thing is, is that if you're trying to find a balance, you're somehow fighting against who you are. Mm. And at the same time, this is going to sound very contradictory. I also don't believe anybody is who they are. So either way, you're prisoner to some permanent personality, right? So either I'm, I'm the macho guy, I'm the nice guy, or I'm the guy who's trying to be balanced, right? Yeah. So either way, you're, you're forcing something. And so I was talking to a client about this last week. We were talking about authenticity, right? And authenticity, mm-hmm. again, such a huge buzzword and, and such an important thing and, you know, for creating relationships and in, and in business, like authenticity yep. is huge. And I came up with on the fly, like just have no idea where this came from. I came up with a new definition of authenticity and my new definition of authenticity is us no longer trying to manage people's impressions of us. Okay. So to me, if I'm not trying to manage your impression of me, right, if I'm not trying in this moment, if I'm not trying to be like, okay, okay, I got to really make sure that he sees me as an expert and I got to make sure that he sees me as this like all powerful teacher. And I have to make sure that, you know, he sees me as entertaining. If I release all that shit, then whatever comes out of my mouth comes out of my mouth. And sometimes I may kind of sound like a dick. Sometimes I may be funny. Sometimes I may make no sense. Sometimes I may be profound. <laughs> but but the goal here is that, or, or the outcome, not the goal, the outcome is, is that I show up and whatever occurs, occurs. And so, so the reason I say that is because if we're really truthful with ourselves, what do we get out of being the asshole? What are we trying to prove? Because if we really slow that down and get mindful, we may be being the asshole because we're trying to manage somebody's impression that's in front of us. I need them to see me as powerful. I need them to see me as manly. I need them to see me as X, Y, Z. Or on the other side of the token, the nice guy, I need them to see me as nice. I need them to see me as approachable. I need Mm -hmm. them to see me as sweet and kind and generous. If we release all that shit of managing impressions and just show up, yeah, sometimes we'll be nice and sometimes we'll be a dick and sometimes we'll be exactly what people want to be around and sometimes people will despise us. But at least we'll just be being who we are without the need to modify people's impressions of us. Does that make sense? I love your answer, Jason. It's, yeah. (laughs) It's really awesome. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And here's the last one. Jason, may I ask you to share a piece of advice that your father never got to tell you, or maybe he didn't know, about being a man in today's world? I'm talking about information or advice that would have changed everything in your adult life, one that you will be sure to share with the future generation. Mm. So we didn't get to, to talk about this, but I never had a father growing up. So my father left my mom when she was four or five months pregnant. So I've never met him. I've never seen him. I've never talked to him. I've seen one picture of him from like the seventies before I was born. Like I, I have never had, I've never had a father. Now, luckily I had, you know, my grandfather and, and one of my uncles who were very close to me and I, I love them dearly. My grandfather passed a few years ago, but my, my entire life he was there and, and, and my uncle was as well. So I had, you know, some really positive male influences. But I think that if I look back to maybe the one thing that I wish somebody would have told me, 
and and I don't because I needed to go on this journey. But let's just say we were trying to shortcut things a little bit. I would say, as harsh as it may sound, no one's coming. Like no one's coming to save you. No one's coming to make your life easy. No one's coming to to fight the big bad monsters. No one's going to come and take all the challenge away from you. No one's coming. And, and that's and that's incredible news because that allows me to really step into, well, what am I capable of creating given the fact that nobody's coming? And so so to lovingly and compassionately and creatively and optimistically share the message, no one is coming, to me is just an invaluable piece of information for anybody at any age. That's powerful. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Jason, it was a really awesome episode. And before we say goodbye, I want you to share with us the projects that currently excite you and where can people find you? The project that excites me more than anything right now is being here talking to you. I mean, that's just like total badassery right there. Absolutely. But, but, yeah, but, but outside of that epic project of us just talking, yeah, I have a few things going on. The number one thing, and I don't, I don't know when this will come out, but the number one thing that's happening right now, like literally right now, mm-hmm. is I'm in the midst of launching my very first signature online program. It's called Playful Prosperity. And it's really about bringing this sense of play and lightheartedness and joy and gamification to your life and still getting shit done, like still being really high performing, really high, highly productive, you know, making stuff happen, but doing it from a much more fun, playful, joyful place. So that program is, is coming out right now and, and I'll run it again later on in the year and, and keep running it, I think, because it's just, it is going to be just packed with so much amazing stuff. I'm so excited at, at what I've been able to create in this program over the past several months that I've been building it. So that's, that's really the biggest thing that I'm doing right now and I'm super excited about it. You can check it out at playfulprosperity.com. And you can also find me at thejasongoldberg.com. And I want to give everybody, all of your listeners here, the ability to get an absolutely free copy of Prison Break, of my book, Prison Break. So I gave a special link that will be just for you guys. You can download a digital copy, or if you're in the US, you can pay a couple bucks shipping and handling, and I'll ship you a physical paperback copy. And that's my gift to you for being a listener of this show and for continuing this amazing work. Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for joining us today. And I hope to have you again on the Men's Journey Today podcast soon. Can't wait, man. So much fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on. All right, guys. Till next time. Take care. Take care.